This is the Happen to Your Career Podcast, episode 157. That question is probably the thing that gave me the most just worries and sleepless nights when I was starting my business because if you don't have a corporate title or something that people can very easily put into a box, it's really difficult to describe what you do without getting that glazed over look from people who, when they ask that question for the most part, just want you to say, I'm in business development or I do sales. And and what I do is a little bit more complicated than that. Hey, HTYCers. If you've been struggling to figure out work that fits you, then join our eight-day free mini course. All you have to do is text HTYC to 38470. That's HTYC to 38470 or simply visit figureitout.co. That's figureitout.co. See you there. This has happened to your career. We help you stop doing work that doesn't fit you, figure out what does, and then make it happen. Whether you're looking to do your own thing or find your dream job, you've come to the right place. I'm Scott Barlow. This is Scott Anthony Barlow, and you are listening to Happen to Your Career. This is the show that helps you figure out what work fits you by exploring other stories. We get to bring on experts like Mac Pritchard, who helps people hack into the hidden job market, or people who have pretty amazing stories like Clark Vandevittner, who has freed himself from the fear of failure and designed an epic, quote unquote, lifestyle for himself and his family. These are people that are just like you. They've gone from where they are to what they really want to be doing. And they're people just like our next guest, my friend, Tracy Tim. And we get to have a conversation. This has been a long time coming, by the way. So Tracy and I met each other through a mutual friend, Mimi Zing. And that was, geez, I guess about, I guess about six or eight months ago or so. And we connected immediately right away. And she, she runs a really pretty cool business. So you'll get to hear more about that. But we, we get deep into conversation because she's been through a lot in, in her life. And we get we get into some really fun stuff like why it's so important to be authentically you in all you do especially when it comes to your career even though it feels like it it's impossible sometimes and because if you don't put your authentic truth into the world how can you expect to get that back all right so we we also talk about how knowing and asking for what you want is the magic combination in getting what you want. Not a surprise, right? But you get to hear how that actually happens in reality. And then we talk about the the difference between having a bad day at work and absolutely dreading going to work. I've been there. I've done the dreading. It is less than desirable. It's It's not normal to hate your job. And your job shouldn't make you miserable. Shouldn't make you miserable. Not everybody loves their job, but it's definitely not even normal to hate and despise your job. Okay, so we talk about rapid prototyping, designing experiments, taking on a side gig, volunteering, shadowing, all kinds of different ways to be able to design your own life. And we talk about personal time to regain perspective, understanding self, leveraging background, leveraging your network, putting all this stuff into practice. It's This is a pretty packed episode. And Tracy's she she's self-described a uh, risk averse overachiever is how I've heard her describe it. He's really very much lived a calculated box checking life as she calls it. And you're going to hear her talk about that in just a, just a minute. But 
after she checked off all these boxes, graduating from Yale, getting a job on Wall Street, uh, college, uh, she made me feel wholly underqualified, by the way. And, you know, she's, she's done all these things, but she began to feel the effects of that whole classic high achiever looking for more from life syndrome after a while. And so she decided that picking up misery and, and safety over an actual fulfilling life was just not how she wanted to continue. So I want you to take a listen to her because she's got such a passion for learning about people and why they do the things they do. And that's eventually what led her to start her own business, helping focusing on helping organizations retain and manage and develop their best people to give the maximum impact back to business. And she does this through behavior psychology practices as well as providing support to young professionals that hate the fact that they hate their job and want to do something more meaningful. Okay, take a listen to my conversation with Tracy Tim. Hey, hey, welcome back to Happen to Your Career. I am so very excited to be here, and I think that part's normal, but I'm especially loving today because I get to talk to get to talk to a good friend and somebody who I am beyond excited to have on the show and showcase her story and what she does because I think it's very relevant to all of you. So welcome to Happen to Your Career, Tracy Tim. Thank you, Scott. I'm excited to be here and share what I know with your wonderful audience. What you know with who we know. It's going to work out. This is going to be good. And I, you know, I, I'm curious, first of all, cause I, I actually, no, I kind of have asked you this cause we've had this conversation recently and even, even you've even written it down to some degree, but I'm curious, I was going to say, how do you describe what you do these days? So, yeah, wow. That question is probably the thing that gave me the most just worries and sleepless nights when I was starting my business. Because if you don't have a corporate title or something that people can very easily put into a box, it's really difficult to describe what you do without getting that glazed over look from people who, when they ask that question for the most part, just want you to say, I'm in business development or I do sales. And and what I do is a little bit more complicated than that. Um, but what? my business focus is really on two core uh, objectives. I work with organizations on one side and individuals on the other. And with the organizational side, I want to help organizations find, retain, manage, and develop their best people uh, to give their maximum impact back to the business. And then, and I do that using a behavioral psychology approach. And then on the individual side, I work with Uh, disillusioned young professionals who hate the fact that they hate their job and really want to do something more meaningful with their lives. Uh, So I take them from that moment of just total disillusionment and confusion all the way through to, wow, I really feel like I'm taking the steps towards meaningful uh, and impactful work. So that's how I describe it now. I call myself a quarter-life career coach and expert on one end and a uh, behavioral psychologist and human capital advisor on the other, but both usually require a little bit of explanation. That is a good mix if I've ever heard one before. Well, thank you. I, I love it. So you've got a couple of different businesses, which I think is interesting in its own right. But if we go way back to before you had either of those, then... How on earth did we get to here? How where where does this start for you? I love this story. I think if you had told me and people say this all the time, but I am the most unassuming and shocked 
entrepreneur maybe that ever was because um, I've never been the kind of person to describe myself as a risk tolerant individual. I've always wanted something a little more secure and safe. Uh, But when misery outweighed safety, I had to make a decision. So my background is just really a normal kid. I mean, like lower middle class upbringing. I'm an only child, but I was always um, a super overachiever, I think from just a really young age. And my parents saw me doing well in something and would just, you know, encourage me to continue to do well at that thing. And and so it got to the point where I just had to be the best. So if I was going to play an instrument, I was going to be first chair. If I was going to play a sport, I was going to be, you know, the all-star athlete. If I was going to do school, which you have to, right, as a kid, <laughs> then I was going to get all A's. Um, and I really lived this very calculated life of what I call like box checking, which is you go to school and check the box. You do your extracurriculars, you check the box. You do all of your um, scholarship applications, check the box. Get into a good college, check the box. And I got into a great school. I got into Yale uh, through playing softball and through all of those good grades that I was focused on and, and when I was younger. And uh, that was my first kind of exploratory moment where I was like, oh my God, I'm not in public school anymore. I can literally study anything I want to and nobody's gonna say anything, right? So I took advantage of that and started diving into sociology and uh, psychology and all kinds of stuff. And what I realized is that I was mainly choosing things having to do with people. And I just had this passion for learning about why people do the things they do, how we all end up with these very cool, unique stories. Um, you know, where, what makes us who we are and why, and, and how, even though we might have similar upbringings or similar backgrounds, everybody's different and everybody has a cool, unique path that leads them to this moment right here, right now. Um, so I graduated with a degree in behavioral psychology, but, uh, my life has always oscillated back and forth between this box checking and doing what I want to (laughs) do. And it, it, was time that I hadn't checked a box in quite a while. And so when I was picking a, uh, a career, you know, I had really well-intentioned family and friends and people around me. Uh, but nobody when I was growing up had ever really talked to me about what are you passionate about or what, what do you see yourself doing for eight or nine hours a day? Um, and I think that's a conversation we don't have enough with kids at a young enough age um, for them to really think about, you know, your life is not going to be school forever. Um, And that's obvious for some people, but for others, it's not because you're in school from the time you're five until the time you're about 25 with most people going into college and to grad school these days and the undergraduate degree becoming less and less impressive for people. Um, So you're wildly underprepared to talk about what you could do for eight hours a day (laughs) on end. Um, But Yale really funneled people into five kind of major uh, career areas, one of them being uh, finance. And so I ended up getting a role at a uh, financial institution, uh, the Royal Bank of Scotland, and I was working in sales and trading there. And I really reasoned that to myself saying, you know, I have this degree in behavioral psych and I've done sales in the past. In fact, I got myself through college um, selling Cutco knives. Anybody out there who's done Cutco in the past? Cutco, right? I was slinging blades for two (laughs) years and uh, was great at it and and made great money. And so I could take care of things and help my family out. And I had three jobs while I was in school, but I digress. So I get this job. I reasoned to myself that maybe I'll like it. And very quickly, I realized that you know, there's a difference between work that you're built for 
and then work that as a smart, intelligent, hardworking human being that you can do well at. And I realized I was just spending 10 times the energy as the people around me to achieve the same or maybe slightly better of a result. And I wondered whether or not that was really all there was to life. Is it really that we have to live by societal norms of what successful lives look like and what successful people do for a living and sometimes be miserable or feel like we can't be ourselves? Or is there something else? Is there something maybe even better? Um, But I was terrified to go look for it, right? Because I come from this not so risk tolerant background and a not so risk tolerant mother who's like, you can't get a job. You can't quit a job without another job. Um, But the day that I really realized that this was important was uh, I had a friend who, who worked on the desk with me and I was a second year analyst. He was a first year analyst. So we had worked together for an entire calendar year, 12 hours a day, every single day. And, uh, and we were on the same desk together. So we worked very closely and, we were out walking. We did like a daily afternoon, little five minute walk. It was the only break we took the entire day. Cause if you're on the trading floor, you have to be really vigilant. And so we're outside and we're on this little terrace, um, in the office that we had. And next to the office, there was this uh, cute little Creek that ran along it. And there was a bridge that connected the two streets on either side of the Creek. Yeah. And that day they were doing, um, some construction on the bridge. And in Connecticut, you get these really extreme colds and then like sometimes in the summer, really extreme heat. And um, I had no idea what they were doing to the bridge. I thought it was broken. I don't know. So I casually mentioned it to my friend. And the minute he looked down, he looked up at me and his eyes had widened. He had this like goofy ass grin on his face. <laughs> and, uh, and, and he was like, oh, my God. So, Tracy, I studied engineering in college and I love construction. And so here's what ha- here's what's happening. And for the next five minutes, he went on this diatribe about bridges in the wintertime and how concrete condenses and they have to extend bridges or else they collapse in the middle and all of the supports they need to put in and the, which guys on top and which guys on the bottom and all this stuff. And I'm, I'm, you know, not exaggerating when I say that, A, I had never seen him talk so passionately about anything having to do with finance, whether, you know, and some people do, right? I'm not to say, that's not to say that finance is nobody's thing. It's just to say that maybe it wasn't his thing. Um, And B, when we got back to the door to go back inside, back down to our desks, you could visually see it drain away from him. He was just gone. He was back to the person that I knew before and uh, and no longer this light in front of me. And I sat down at my desk and was like, all right, this 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 feels wrong. Like, what are we doing here? And I went home shortly after that for a wedding uh, and I was talking to some friends from high school and they were like, yeah, you just don't seem to be yourself anymore either. And after that, I was like, something has to change, right? Like this. Something has to give. Something, Yeah. It's like this amount of misery just can't be worth it. And I pulled my head up out of the sand and I looked around and I realized nobody in any of the senior positions was any happier than me. Nobody leading those people was any happier than they were. It was just this like churning gear that got you up to these upper echelons of money and quote unquote, you know, success or power or whatever. Um, but nobody really enjoyed their lives. And I was like, I'm pretty sure I'm not in this one existence just to get to retirement age to then do whatever it is that I want to do. Um, I'd really like to kind of 
you know, do the things while I'm still physically and mentally able to do them <laughs> um, that I want to. And so it was a huge gamble, but I went in the following day and just said, you know what, I, I cannot stay here anymore. And I was fully mentally prepared for them to just kick me out on my butt because that's what they do because you have, you have so much proprietary knowledge and oh, you yeah. really, they don't want you sticking around too long after you've decided you're not going to be there for an indefinite amount of time. And, uh, and they were amazing. You know, it was the first time in my life. And this is something I really want your audience to hear is that I think sometimes as young professionals, we will censor our ideal situation because we're assuming that we're not going to get it. So in order to hedge our bets, we tell people what we want couched in what we think they'll let us have. And when that happens and then the negotiations start, you're already starting at a level lower than what it is that you really wanted. Um, so there's no way to go back up to your ideal situation. So for the first time, I just went in there and I told them exactly what I wanted, exactly why I wasn't happy. It was probably the most authentic moment in, in my career up to that date. And wouldn't you know it, they responded in the same fashion. Um, so instead of getting kicked out on my butt, I got three options. I got the option to stick around with way more support um, and way more training so that I could be happier. I got the option to stick around at the company and just change roles because they wanted smart young women there. And then I got the option to just stay as long as I was doing the, like, quote unquote, the bare minimum, you know, but, but not just to leave right away, but to stay until what I, I figured out what my next career move would be. Um, so let, it was let's just, talk about all that for just, yeah. uh, just a couple of minutes here, because I think that there's, I mean, we could probably do actually six hours of podcast just within the last two minutes of what you've talked about. And I don't want to do that. Well, actually, that's not true. I kind of want to do that. But I, <laughs> but I, I don't know if we have time for that today. So maybe that's a maybe that's a different episode. But let's let's spend just a couple of minutes unpacking that because you talked about our tendency to center or censor what we really actually want and where once <laughs> once we put the lesser version of that out into the world and i think you called it you know trying to wrap it up in what you think is available to you or what you think that mm -hmm. you can actually get and how you're starting out from a completely different point so basically what i take from that is you are virtually guaranteeing you're never going to get what you want 100% and you said it beautifully and I learned that um, really I learned that my freshman year in college from an ethics class so it was a philosophy class and we were talking about utilitarianism and yeah. we were you know, we can get real deep here if you want to Scott maybe <laughs> I yeah, let's roll the one that really stuck out to me though was this idea that this one philosopher put forward where if it let's say like somebody um, comes to your house and they're seeking refuge. They're like running away from people who are chasing them and they didn't do anything wrong. And so you're like, okay, I'll hide you. Um, what then happens is the person who is chasing them comes to the door and says, do you know where so-and-so is? And so they ask you, what's the right thing to do? And because it was an, an ethics course on philosophy. So you could say the right thing to do is lie and say you haven't seen them and think that that's going to save the person. Or the right thing to do is to tell the truth and always be authentic and put, you know, your authentic 
the truth out in the world because what you say to people creates their reality. So if you create a false reality, you're also still on the hook for the uh, you know, what happens next for the outcome of that false reality. Yeah. So let's say you lie to that guy and you tell them, no, I haven't seen them, but he suspects that you're lying. And so he comes around to the back door and sneaks his way and finds the guy, kills him. It's your fault because you were the one who put the lie out into the world. And I remember thinking like, okay, this is a really weird example. And I was only, what, 18, 19 years old at the time. So I was like, when is this ever going to apply to my life? Hopefully nobody's ever going to try to seek refuge in my house. (laughs) But, But the idea was if you don't put your authentic truth out into the world and you don't tell people what it is that you really want, how can you ever expect to get authentic truth back? The only way for the universe to give you um, what it is that you're seeking is to continually attract it, to continually put that out there. And I kept finding that I was trying to be somebody that other people wanted me to be or that my bosses expected me to be and I was afraid to tell them I'm not happy here and and I don't know why I'm not happy here I didn't think it would be very well received Um, and so I probably suffered for months if not years longer than I needed to if I had just told somebody this really sucks. Does it suck for everybody or do I hate it more than most people because I don't know how much longer I can do this, right? But when you're young and you're and you're thinking, wow, I just really have to suck it up. This is what work is. Um, I just want to dispel that myth. Work is not miserable for everybody. If you're miserable in your job right now and you're in your first or second job of your career and people are just telling you, oh, you got to take your knocks. It's hard work at the beginning. There's a difference between working really hard and having some rough days where you work a long hours or you have a really difficult project or you have a, a conflict with a coworker. There's a difference between that and and coming home every night crying or not being able to go to sleep the night before because you're dreading going into work the next day or getting a chill up your spine when you walk through the front door. Work does not have to make you miserable. In fact, I believe in one of the core tenets of my business is that work can be meaningful and it can be impactful and it can be fulfilling for you rather than miserable. Hey, I just wanted to cut in here because... We just recently put together the ultimate guide to using your strengths to get hired. And this came from us getting the same questions again and again and again from listeners just like you that wanted to be able to identify their signature strengths and be able to use this to make a career change to work that they actually are excited about and use some of the, some of the things that are unique about them. And I, uh, I was really excited that we could get this all into one guy. So I want to give it to you for free. Here's all you have to do is you can just pause right now and text my strengths. That's M Y no space strengths, plural to four, four, two, two, two. That's my strengths to four, four, two, two, two. And we'll ship it right over. It's pretty cool. We talk about in the guide, how, how strengths operate differently than what you think they do, and then why they absolutely are one of the keys to doing the work that you love. And then we go into four specific ways to get started immediately identifying your signature strengths. And then we even tell you how to use those strengths and represent them in the interview process and even how to answer some of the most common interview questions. Pretty cool, right? Just go ahead and text my strengths to 44222. Send it right over.
I got this email the other day, and it was from one of our uh, one of our readers for Happen to Your Career, and she said, "Look, I don't know why I'm emailing you back in the first place," which was kind of funny in the first. Place. <laughs> I chuckled at that. She's like, "I never, I never, you know, reach out to." I'm not that person. I'm not yeah. that person. <laughs> but then she went on to say that, "Look, I was talking to, I was talking to one of my friends, and we agreed how sad it was that." Uh, a good job or a, you know, even a great job, an ideal job was one where you aren't coming home crying your eyes out every, every single night or one where you don't cry, you know, more than once a day or something along those lines. It's like, <laughs> and her point was, oh my goodness, the bar has fallen so low in everyone's minds uh, that, <laughs> that what we consider to be a, a good situation or ideal situation really is so much lower than what it actually could be. So we accept this different reality for ourselves, which is, I think, what you've been getting at for the last little bit, which is sad and what I know both you and I hope to change. Totally. Okay. But let me challenge you on, on something or maybe not even challenge you on it, but let's, let's talk about it really quick. Cause I've been in, I've been in several different situations, actually three different situations where I have gone and been painfully honest with my boss. Sure. Situation number one, I got canned (laughs) (laughs) with the quickness. With just right away. Just no. Yeah. (laughs) Actually it was three weeks later and it was a surprise and they, they, you know, they called all my, my team together as leading about 20 people at the time and they called them together for a training. And then I found out five minutes before the, the training that, (laughs) Well, I wasn't, it wasn't actually a training. Oh, so that's, God. that's a whole different side story, but that's, that's what pe- being painfully, that's what's behind door number one. So yeah. behind door number two was my, my boss at the time said, look, well, let's figure out how to, how to help you transition out of here. And then yeah. thing number three was uh, very much similar to what you talked about is like, Hey, look, we let's. Let's keep all doors and possibilities open. And I am curious from your perspective, and I'll, I'll show you what, what, uh, what I kind of learned out of that deal too, but I'm curious what makes it, what makes it that really good reality when you're going and you're being blatantly honest, there's a lot of different ways that you can be blatantly honest and authentic mm-hmm. and have completely different outcomes based upon the reality that you create. So people who are in that situation that are afraid of what was behind door number one, which was, I don't know, getting canned publicly or something crazy like that. That doesn't happen very, that doesn't happen. uh, That's not exclusively the thing that always happens though. I want to be clear about that versus getting to work with the company and then bending over backwards to help you out. What do you, what do you think is the, the difference there in how you portray that reality? Such a good question. So first of all, I want to say that I just want to make clear that I approached that situation being mentally okay with whatever outcome. Like I knew I was like, if the worst comes to worst and they say, you have to leave now, this minute, like go get your stuff, you're out of here. I had to come into that conversation being mentally prepared for that outcome. And I will tell you right now, they about knocked me off my chair with the response that they actually had for me. Um, So I think it's important to go into, and I like that you are pushing back on this example and asking this specific question, because I think it's important to know that if you are going to do this, 
this is not the safest move, right? Like this is not <laughs> biding your time and just being a little bit miserable for a little bit longer until you figure out your next step. This is like you taking a risk um, and taking your career and your really your happiness into your own hands and saying, I'm going to be okay with the worst possible outcome and I'm going to hope for the best. Now, when you're hoping for the best, there are some things you should say and some things you should not say in that conversation. Um, I think the most important thing is to speak positively about yourself, meaning I wouldn't recommend going into that conversation and saying, these are all the reasons I'm upset these are all the things that went wrong. This is all the, these are all the reasons why you don't understand me or, you know, that's all very negative driven. Instead, I would say something that might be negatively driven and turn it into a positive. What does that mean? That means, you know, I'm really feeling frustrated in this role because I don't think it takes advantage of how good I am at X, Y, and Z. And I think X, Y, and Z could make a really big impact on this company. And I know it would fulfill me so that I would be giving even more effort back to you and back to the team. And I, right. So do, are you getting this kind of subtle difference between somebody who comes in complaining about a poor work situation and somebody who comes in with a solution or with their, um, their particular value add that they might have to the company. I think that's pretty important. Um, is that making sense? Yeah, that's totally making sense. And I was just thinking about that because my mind always goes to, hey, how can we take this and wrap it up in a pretty little bow and make it into a process so that HDYCers <laughs> out there can uh, be able to go and duplicate it? And yeah. that's not always possible, at least not in the most uh, step one, step two, step three type sense. But what I'm taking from that is, Look, if you go into it, one, knowing what you want, and if you have given thought into how you can be helpful to them and bringing potential solutions versus what what you just said is the alternative, which is coming in and complaining about something which is not very solution focused at all, then you're, shocker, likely to receive more uh, of what of what you want and, and have a light, higher likelihood of being able to... Um, be helpful in them reciprocating. Yeah, I think it's also important to put yourself in your manager's shoes, which I don't think we do very often. I think um, it's easy to look at your situation as a victim and as like, I'm getting mistreated or this or that, or I'm just miserable and I know I'm not in the right place and this person maybe doesn't care, whatever it might be. But um, oftentimes, like managers don't know what they don't know, right? If you've never gone and talked to your direct supervisor or boss or direct report about the fact that you're, that you believe you're actually a really gifted writer and, and they have you doing mostly audio or, right? So it could be something simple like that, but they don't know what they don't know. So it is really almost partially your responsibility to be um, interacting with that person to tell them, hey, like, you know, I really... You remember that time you were really positive with so-and-so? I feel like most of the time I get negative reinforcement from you. And I would love every once in a while if you just said this, this, and this. Or they need direction just as much. Like You, you guys would be amazed and shocked. So I gave a lot of speeches. And one I gave uh, recently was about management. How do, how do leaders, how do managers become leaders? Um, just because you have a manager title, that doesn't mean you're a natural leader. So how do we become better leaders? And you would be amazed at the number of people who manage people who, who ask me questions like, so should I be asking my direct reports like how I'm doing as their manager? 
should I be talking to them about their fulfillment or their, um, their life outside of work or they don't know anything sometimes. So like if, if it's really something that you think is solvable and something that you want to get a good reaction from and, and get a solution out of, then by all means, you need to be an active part of that process. I think for me, I had reached a misery and a frustration point to where I really wanted to go and I wanted them to know my piece. I wanted to have like said my piece and left on a note where I felt empowered and I felt like I was being true to myself. Um, mine was not to go in there and to like repair the relationship. So I think that's a little bit different from an approach standpoint, but I like where you're going. When how did you say it? When misery outweighed safety. <laughs> That's exactly what it was. It was like making, I mean, I made over, you know, over six figures my first year out of college, like squirreled away a ton of money, realized that taxes are a real thing and uh, didn't get to squirrel away as much as I had hoped. But, um, but yeah, it's, it, it was, it was a huge moment where I had to decide you know, did I love going around and telling people that I was on Wall Street? Uh, yeah. And did I love the ability to take care of my parents and take them on vacations and pay for their 30th wedding anniversary trip to Vegas? Like, yes, I, I miss those things and I'll have them again one day. But at the end of the day, when I would go home and lay in my bed and look up at the ceiling and, and take like another swig of uh, NyQuil so I could go to bed so I could get up the next day and do the same thing, like that's not life. That's not living. And it's certainly not doing what you were created for, which is what I help people figure out to do how to do now. And of course, the, the real question that everybody's wondering is, is NyQuil code word for something else? <laughs> no, I literally would drink NyQuil before bed almost every night because I was so on edge from, you know, you have a Blackberry and you have your iPhone and you're sort of like having to answer all of them all the time. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, oh, you know, yeah. when you're trading and, and you're in sales, it's like anything that happens in the market in Tokyo at 2 a.m. Right. It's so it no. And thank thankfully, I never fell into any habits like that that you're kind of alluding to. But 100 percent NyQuil and I were, were good buddies back in the day. <laughs> And I'm 84% joking. So, you know, there's yeah. that. The, yeah. uh, I, uh, so I took us on a quite a, quite a dovetail, but I really love the theme of being able to be authentic and be yourself. Cause that's a, quite frankly, a lot of what we do here at our company and mm -hmm. with our show and with, well, everything that we do in some, some aspect. So not a, not a surprise that I'm a fan of that, but I'm, I'm curious then what did some of your next steps look like? So, I mean, you, you were on, you were on wall street, you squirreled away some money, you, yeah, the, you eventually the company, you know, ended up helping you out. What, what happened from there? Yeah. This big dramatic exit. No, <laughs> dun, dun, so, such a good, such a good question. So I had, um, I, I had always been a big activator in my life. Like I wanted to learn if I was going to like something or not as quickly as possible. So I, I could spend the least amount of time doing that thing. If I didn't, if I wasn't going to like it, does that make sense? So yeah. like when I was on the trading floor, for instance, I, um, Technically, you're supposed to be an analyst for two years. And then the purpose of being an analyst is to teach you what you need to know to then become a salesperson, a trader, or a full-time analyst. Now, I knew 
ahead of time that I was going to hate being an analyst, right? It was sitting at a computer for 12 hours a day, making models, listening to music, not getting to talk to anybody. This is like Tracy's nightmare. I was like fork in the eyeball. So my goal in being an analyst was how quickly can I get into a sales position? Because I knew I wouldn't like being a trader either. Um, there's a lot of reasons for that that we don't need to get into. But uh, so I was trying to weasel my way into a sales role and I was successful. Within three months of being and being hired as an analyst, I got moved into a sales seat. And then I very quickly realized I didn't really enjoy sales that much, right? So I only stayed there for two, two and a half years total, and I got out. For most people, that would be a five-year process. So when I decided that I didn't want to be at the bank anymore, I also didn't know where I wanted to go. And the last thing I wanted to do was choose a job, which you just talked about earlier, choose a job that's less awful than the one you already have. I did not want that to be the bar. And I didn't want to put a Band-Aid on a really big wound, right? That's a Band-Aid. That's not a solution. That's not a, it's not stitches. It's not, you know. So I, um, I wanted to what I call rapid prototype my life. And I learned that um, doing what I did next, which was <laughs> I found this incredible program. So there was this guy on our desk uh, that we called the Silver Fox because he was gorgeous and he had this beautiful silver hair. So the Silver Fox was talking about his son who um, had recently gotten back from something that he was calling semester at sea. And I oh. overheard this, you know, uh, in passing. And what's funny is I had just been on the phone with my mom and I was like, mom, you know, they've been so great. I still don't know what I'm going to do. I think I'm just going to pack everything up and and put it all away and just go on a trip around the world just clear my head just get away from work get away from business and just you know do some self-discovery she's like all right if that's really what you want to do you know just figure it out so I hang up the phone and then I walk past Martin who the silver fox who's talking about his son who just got back from a semester at sea and I went oh, semester at sea what's that and uh, and he said well it's this very cool program that sends um, you know undergraduate students all around the world on this boat and they study on the boat and whenever they're off they get to travel freely and you know they go everywhere and I was like all around the world like what I was just talking to my mom about right so I'm very conscious of when I put something out into the universe like what what signals do I get back and I do think it's it, sometimes you get that whole like blue Volvo syndrome where like the minute you buy a blue Volvo all you see are blue Volvos out there but I had it tra traveling around the world on my brain so I went back to my desk and I did a little bit of research and come to find out Semester at Sea was this incredible undergraduate study abroad program. It's been around for I think a hundred years or something like that and they accept postgrads as applicants and the following semester was only two months away. It was in the spring of 2013 and guess what it was called Scott? What was it called? A uh, trip around the world. <laughs> was That's the a shocker. title of that trip. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, okay, God, I can take a hint. Like, I'll, I'll apply. And I, um, so I didn't have quite the money to cover the whole thing, which would have stopped most people. And this is a story I want to tell because I think it's important. So I called their financial aid office. I told this woman my whole story about the two and a half years on Wall Street and why I wanted to go on the trip. And she was like, we would love to have you as a part of our community. And I said, okay, um, here's exactly the number that I have. What options do you have for me to make up the financial difference? And she said, okay, you know, that's about half. So why don't you go online? There's a few scholarships you can fill out and I'll see what I can do. So um, the semester at sea is funded by ISE, the International Seaship Board Education 
fund or something. And uh, so it's private. So they can put their money wherever they want. Yeah. And it's all donations. So I fill out these four scholarship applications. I send them in. Literally the next morning, I get an email back from this woman, and I had been awarded four, scho- four scholarships in four varying amounts that totaled exactly half of the trip. And I tell that story to just inspire people to ask for what you want. Like in the same way that you put your authentic self out there, like if you don't ask for what you what you want, um, chances are you're not going to get it. <laughs> like nobody's going to be able to read your mind. And certainly nobody would have known just from my application that I needed some financial aid. So anyway, I, I did all that and I literally did it. I took the, the literal leap and I got onto a boat that sailed around the world for four months. And for those four months, anytime we were off the ship, we were traveling. So we went to Japan and China and Singapore and Burma and uh, South Africa and Ghana and Morocco and all kinds of cool places, India. And then while we were on the ship, I was studying with all the undergrads. So I was taking normal courses. But then I also, so those were the two rapid prototype pieces. One was traveling. One was going back to school. The Uh other was figuring out what kind of industry or business I would want to work in. And for that particular semester, they had um, this company called the Unreasonable Institute, which is actually a social enterprise incubator that's based in uh, Colorado in Boulder. Shout out to all those CU kids that were on the ship. Um, (laughs) They they were just an awesome community. And so they were incubating 12 companies during that semester. So all of those entrepreneurs were living on the ship with us. And then there were um, influencers or their mentors who were coming on and off the ship in every single port we stopped at. So like the Archbishop Desmond Tutu sailed with us for two and a half months. Um, the guy who invented Google Glass, Tom Chi, was on the ship. Uh, the guy who started Priceline, Jeff Hoffman, he came on the ship. Tons of people in the nonprofit world and guys living in Singapore that had billion-dollar businesses that you've never heard of. And then, you know, women who – this one woman I met, Kathy Rogers, she's still a very close friend and mentor of mine, works for IBM. But then she has a nonprofit that plants trees in Kenya, and she's run a half marathon with one of her daughters on every single continent like just one of the coolest people (laughs) um so I got to do it all in the span of like four to six months and not to like be the biggest promoter of semester at sea ever but I'm gonna say if you're in a place in your life where you don't know what to do and you have a spare few dollars or the courage to call the financial aid department and ask for money um you should go oh my god it's a way to see the world get your perspective back meet young people who are possibility minded who see opportunities that you don't see to connect with people globally um and to really rapid prototype that idea of do i want to go back to school do i want to travel do i want to get another job you know what is it that i want to do um Even if that's not in your realm of possibility, I would definitely recommend for people to step away. I don't think we do enough honoring of the fact that we need breaks as human beings. We need more than two weeks of vacation a year. We need more than one hour of personal time a day. We need time to process things that happen to us and we need time to integrate those ideas into our into our idea of self and into our own self-efficacy and what we want to do in the future um so taking that time off and really i don't even consider it time off to be honest even though it was so much fun uh, because i was working really actively on figuring out what my next step uh was gonna be so that was the big transition point for me um And it was where I discovered that I really needed to be working with people on people instead of just with people. And that changed the trajectory of my whole career. So I love this idea of rapid prototyping. And this actually pairs really well with 
uh, if you go back to episode 147, where we talk about designing experiments and mm-hmm. uh, picking, picking up from where we left off there for what you're talking about, Tracy, this is a really, really interesting concept of how can you dis- how can you put into into either one or a couple of places or into your life intentionally the ability to try, if you will, lots of different things. I think it's crucial, especially in today's economy and in the ever-changing industries that we have going on because of technology and everything else that's sort of disrupting our natural, natural, our traditional um, workflow and workplace is like, get, get a side gig, get a side internship, um, volunteer to help somebody with their social media management to learn about a new industry or do some research for somebody or write a write a blog for somebody or anything that can give you a taste of what it's like to be that person and what it's like to live that life. Um, I don't think we do even enough shadowing anymore. Like I don't, I don't hear from young people things like shadowing or informational interviews. Like the people that I know who are really killing it and really learning a lot about themselves when they're in transition and when they're in transformation are A, taking that personal time and really figuring out what their um, values and their commitments are. And then based on those things, they B, learn how to understand themselves better, C, learn how to leverage their background, D, learn how to massively leverage their network. But then the last thing that we're talking about really is putting it into practice, which is go and do. If you can do all that work, you can do all that thinking, and if you don't actually go try someone else's work or substitute for somebody or moonlight as something else or, you know, as Gary Vaynerchuk says, like, give me the hours between 7 p.m. and 2 a.m., like, where you're not doing anything else except maybe drinking or hanging out with friends or sleeping, like, Fig, you know, you have to put it into action. Otherwise, it just continues to be ethereal and a thought. And as one of my favorite influencers ever, Marie Forleo says, um, insight comes from action, not thought. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Every time. And it's, it's interesting because so many people show up on our doorstep trying to figure out what they want to do. Like, that's something I hear. I literally at this moment have hundreds of emails in my box just from the last few days here with people saying, hey, I'm various different versions of I'm trying to figure out what it is I want to do next in my career. I used to say that. Yeah. And what's really interesting about this is I'm, I'm thinking of some of those people like... Oh, well, like Anton, who's in our career change boot camp program, where he he's actually just had tons of different experiences. He's he's had so many different experiences. And, you know, I had a conversation with him on Skype and it, he's in a completely different place to be able to make that next step decision because he's had all those experiences versus, I don't know, probably about 50 of those t- a couple hundred emails um, where they haven't taken the time or effort or energy to do that. So I love really, 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 I'm just, uh, I'm, you know, I love the name you've come up with it too. Thanks. Yeah. And, And the thing about it that I had to get over is that it's scary. It's really, really scary when our society says a hole in your resume looks bad to people 
or jumping around and having a lot of experiences looks bad to people. You need to look committed from day one. You need to look like you want to know or you need you, that you know what you want already. When you don't, you don't. Most 40-year-olds don't. That's the big myth out there that like we're all just big kids, right? We're all just trying to figure it out every day and get through every day and and be a little bit happier hopefully than we were the day before. And and there's just so much pressure on young professionals to have a focus so early that we lose sight of the fact that having a myriad of varied experiences is hugely valuable to businesses. It's hugely valuable. Companies love when you have traveled and when you've seen a different way of living and when you've um, experienced and explored a couple different technologies or industries because you're the person who's going to put the pieces together. You're the person who's going to come up with that really cool, innovative idea that nobody else would have seen because nobody else has has been in China working on a tech startup while they were flying kites on the side or, you know, whatever it was. And then just it's it's really important that what hold, what held me up for so long from doing what I teach people how to do now as far as this rapid prototyping process goes is that I was afraid that I needed to have my next step be the right step with quotes around it and be the last step, right? That I needed to get it right and that I needed to know what I was going to do forever. Um, and the pressure for that really came off when I realized that at no point in your life will you know what you're going to do forever. And that's a good thing. And it's by design. It's because what you're created for at this moment right now is going to change when you have a spouse. And then it's going to change again when you have kids. And then it's going to change again when they have kids. Or it's going to change again when all of a sudden you have to move because you have a sick parent. Or all of a sudden you become the mother or father of the bride. Or, right? So every point in our life, I think what we're created for changes. And I think when you when you own and understand that, then the pressure melts away from having to get it right, from having to be one thing always and focused always. And you free yourself to have more of these varied experiences that you're talking about. This has been absolutely fantastic <laughs> for so many different reasons. One, I just love any excuse to have a conversation with you. And, You're fantastic. Oh, and then two, because I think this is very truly helpful and gets cuts to the heart of what this show is all about. So thank you so much for that. I really appreciate it. Yeah, you're absolutely welcome. I really hope it was helpful and anything else I can do for you and your audience, I'd be happy to. Well, there is one thing you can do for me. Yes. But mostly for my audience. For those those people that that want more Tracy, where can they find you and how can they get how can they get more Tracy? <gasps> oh my god, there's so much Tracy out there. There's no, so much. So. <laughs> there's not enough Tracy oh, to go around. I know. No, there is. There's plenty. So <laughs> Um, first things first, I did put together a bonus for you guys for listening to the podcast because I was so excited to talk to Scott. So Sweet. if you text, if you text, if you're texting a texty texter, but not driving, pull not over, driving, pull over pull out your phone and text E Z. So E is an elephant. Z is in zebra. E Z Tracy T R A C Y text E Z Tracy and then your name and your email. E Z Tracy, and then your name, then your email to 313131. It could not be more simple. Easy Tracy, your name, your email, and then 313131 is the number. Um, I am at the T-H-E Tracy Tim on all major social media, and my Facebook page is backslash Tracy Tim fan, 
But I will tell you, I am best by email. So if they, anybody wants to get in touch with me, it's just Tracy at TracyTim.com. T-R-A-C-Y at T-R-A-C-Y-T-I-M-M.com. What are they going to get when they go over there, Tracy? Oh, wow. I almost forgot. The Roomba made me nervous. <laughs> Roombas so, make me nervous, too. <laughs> so when they go over there, they're going to receive a free copy of my ebook, which is seven strategies, uh, seven fast start strategies for starting anything new. And they are going to be signed up for my weekly podcast and my weekly newsletter, which I have been running steady for, gosh, almost a year now and it's been going wonderfully and I get to interview some really cool people. Scott, hopefully you're going to come on the show. I would love to have you. Um, I'd be honored. Yes. Love it. See what we did right there. People always making it happen. Um, yeah. And they'll, so they'll get a free copy of the book. They'll get signed up for my podcast and then I might have another little goodie, but it's going to be a surprise. So I want to keep it a surprise. Surprise goodie. Surprise goodie. I like the surprise goodie. Hey, I, uh, very much appreciate both the conversation and the Roomba jokes and (laughs) (laughs) any number of other things too. But hey, thank you for making the time and taking the time, Tracy. Appreciate it. Oh yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Hey, if you love that and you're ready to take a calculated risk on yourself and get yourself out of your comfort zone to find out what really fits you, what I want you to do is I want you to go check out our ultimate guide to getting hired for using your strengths. And here's all you have to do. You can just stop right now, push pause on this, and then text my strengths to 44222. That's my strengths, no space in between. MY strengths, plural, 44222 is the number. That's it. Just text my strengths to 44222. We'll send it right over. That's all you have to do. And you'll get to learn everything from some of the best ways to identify what we call your signature strengths to how to use those during the career finding process and job search process. I think you're going to love it. Check it out. All right. We'll see you over there. And lastly, but not, uh, well, lastly, but not lastly, I don't know where I was going with that, but what I do want to say is that I really, 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 really extra, really appreciate all of you because we've had a ton of people take the time and make the effort to go over and leave us some feedback on iTunes, leave us some feedback on Stitcher. And one of those recently is from P Maskell. Uh, he left five stars and says, great show and knowledge, excellent show with really inspiring stories, providing actionable content. Very, very cool. I really appreciate you taking the time. And we also had another one from Avid Learner, Mike, five stars, awesome content. And I'm blown away by the quality of the content of these podcasts. They're a masterclass for those who want to happen to their career. Scott gets it and is vested in helping people grow and advance in their careers. Well, I really appreciate that. And it's not just me. It's the entire team who is invested in helping you vested vested invested no vested and regardless of what it is we are we're here to help because that's what we do and that's the entire reason we exist as it turns out so let me let me know how we can be of help to you all you have to do is head on over to happen to your career or if you want to other people you want to give a gift it's getting close to christmas right so if you want to give a gift to other people then go over and leave us an honest review because when you do that that helps other people find the show Thanks so very much for all the people that have already done that. It means the world to us. And I just want you to know we got more coming for you next week on Happen to Your Career. Let's take a listen for what is coming up in store for you next week. 
I worked in the restaurant business for uh, over 12 years, you know, but then it was time to change. So then I jumped into the construction business. I really like, I like working with my hands, you know. I'm one of those guys that just wants to keep working, working with his hands. As I start getting older, I realized, you know what, I'm not going to be able to do this always, you know. So I either have to either build a crew so then I can manage them and do that or find something better to do. So about four and a half years ago, that's when I ran the idea by my wife and I told her, honey, what do you think about us starting our own social platform? And she's like, but honey, you don't even know how to send an email. All that and plenty more next week, right here on Happen to Your Career. This has been a ton of fun. I really appreciate you taking the time, making the time, listening to our show. And if there's anything we can do for you, don't hesitate to let us know because this is what we do and it's what we love to do. I will talk to you all next week. Adios. I'm out.